So church, if this is the day that the Lord has made, how many of us have rejoiced so far? Have you? The Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Are you excited to be in God's house? Are you ready to rejoice? Do you firmly believe that God's word makes a difference for the better? Do you, you might say, Pastor, I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that. But can I tell you, a lot of people do a lot of things that don't make any sense. So I'm not saying that you're one of those. I'm just checking right from the beginning, saying, man, I want you to, I want you to lean in. Come on, lean into me. I'm going to lean into you because this is going to be a jam-packed message designed to bless your life. So I, I want you to be excited and to take a journey with me today. You know, the, the title of today's message is entitled, it's just simply the journey. The journey, the journey of what? The journey of life? The journey of the day? The journey of the week, month, year? We've said that we want to have the best year yet. Well, in order to have the best year yet, you need to understand that when you're on a journey, it, it does matter what road you take. It does matter what course you set. Those things do matter. As a matter of fact, one of, the, one of my favorite poets is Robert Frost. You say, I know exactly where you're going, Pastor. You're going to, his favorite, to one of his famous poems, The Road Not Taken. And it says, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler along I stood. And looked down one as far as I could. To where it bent in the undergrowth. And he goes on to say, I won't read the whole thing, but he basically says he has to make a decision at that crossroad. He chose to take the one less traveled by. He goes on to conclude it has made all the difference in his life. Can I tell you, everyone will stand at a crossroads at some point in their life and have a decision to make about Jesus Christ. Either you'll journey with him or you'll journey away from him. But I want you to consider this. The Bible says, and these are Jesus' words, if you want eternal life, if you want the journey that leads to heaven, you have to take the narrow way. The way that seems less traveled. When you look down the two paths, there's a super highway going to hell. Some have sang about it, right? And there's a small narrow path. And it's hard to tell where it's going. But that leads to life. And that leads to Jesus Christ and traveling with him. And Today I want to talk to you more about this journey. As a matter of fact, we've been on a journey and we've said a lot of things that can contribute to having the best year yet in 2020. Most recently, we talked about setting priorities and making decisions over the way we spend our time. And, and that's what I want to expand on today. I want to expand on the fact that in this journey of life, we have decisions to make. And Jesus, Jesus in chapter four of John says, and this is the King James Version. It says, and he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. I love the double emphasis on the fact that he has a date with destiny. This isn't something that he dreamed up because the Bible tells us plainly 
openly and often, Jesus says, I don't make decisions according to what I desire. I do the will of the Father. When you see me doing something, it's because the Father has directed it, and I just submit to his perfect will. And so here, the Lord has set up a date with destiny for Jesus and this woman. And he needs go through Samaria to be there at the right time, at the appointed hour. How many of you know that when God is directing your life, he will set you up? He will set you up for destiny, and he will put you at the right place, at the right time, to meet the right people, to do the right thing for his honor and for, your, for his glory, and that you might be blessed in the process. And today, I just want to ask you to, to have faith spark up in your heart towards that, towards that idea. And so he needs to go through Samaria. Now, now stay with me on this, because verse 5 says... So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. Okay, so there's a plot of ground that has a well. Now it's interesting because the Bible is very thorough. And in this verse, it talks about a spring. In 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12, it uses a different uh, Greek word that will not talk about just a spring, but a pool. So this is interesting because a spring might give the connotation that just a few bubbles, just a little trickle. But the Bible says, I want you to get a good picture. It's not just a spring that, that flows fresh water, but there's enough that it pools where many can come. How many of you know Jesus is for anybody that wants and there's always enough? Because that's, what that's what's being represented here. And so the Bible says in verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied. I want you to highlight the word wearied. Come on, how many of you are struck by that word? Well, finish reading. Wearied from his journey. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus was on a journey. Now I want, to, I want you to consider your journey. What journey have you been on? Is it getting you where you want to go? If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So I want you to think about your journey. Listen to this. He said, tired or weary from, your, from his journey, thus he sat by the well. For it was about the sixth hour. Now, the word worry, or excuse me, weary, in the Greek, has the connotation of being beat down. So, you know where we get the word, man, I'm beat. That's where we get this idea. He was beat down from his journey. Come on, how many of you have ever been beat down from a journey? Haven't you ever been beat down by life? Said, man, Lord, it's like just one wave after another, just one hardship after another, one challenge after another. It's like just when we think we're getting our footing, Bam, I get hit again, and then I get hit again, and then I get hit again. I'm just beat, God. I'm beat. Listen, the reason the gospel writer made a point to put that in there is so that you would record, wow, Jesus understands because he's been there too. Yes, he might have been God, but he knew what it was like to feel pain, to feel tired, to feel exhaustion, to feel limit, to feel limited. 
The reason I say that is because one of Satan's favorite lies is to say, God doesn't get you. He doesn't understand you. He's so far up there. He doesn't know what it's like to be human. Can I tell you, not only does he know what it's like in a general sense, because he walked the same roads that we walk as, as humans. He knows what it's like to be human. But theologically, listen to what the Bible says. He bore your sins, every hardship, every hurt, every abuse, every attack, every molestation, every everything. He bore it. So not only does he know what it's like in a general sense, he knows what it's like in your specific case because he bore that for you. And he can exchange peace for it if you give it to him. The choice is yours. We're talking about choices today. And so here we have this idea that Jesus was weary. We also have about the sixth hour. Now, if the Apostle John, writing from Ephesus in the late first century, was employing the Roman civil time, then we know it would have been about six in the evening. Why is that important? Because we know that he needed to be in Samaria for an appointed hour and he traveled all day long and he was tired. The reason I say this is because God gives you just enough time to do exactly what he needs you to do. Some of us wouldn't have gotten there by the sixth hour because we'd have been doing our stuff. And then we say, but Lord, I never have enough time in the day to do what I'm supposed to do. And he says, no, 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 no. You don't have enough time in the day to do what you want to do, but you have plenty of time to do what I want you to do. Uh-oh, can I preach to someone today? Do I have permission? Can, can I, can I, I'm trying to help you if you let me. I really am trying to help you if you let me. Now, now so I, I want you to keep going with this. I want you to, to read verse 7 with me. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So picture this in your mind with me. Close your eyes, everyone. As you close your eyes, you have an ancient scenario of a well. And you have a man between 30 and 33 sitting there at the well, he's visibly tired. It's the golden hour, which means the sun is going down, and that's when people look their best. Now, Jesus has a glow of joy because he is connected to the Father, and the Bible says that when you walk with God, it shows on you. So there's something special about him. You can notice that as you begin to draw nearer and nearer to him. You're a woman. But not just any woman. Men, you're familiar with what it's to attract the opposite sex. And so as the woman gets nearer to him, she might be sizing him up in terms of, wow, he's a good looking dude. He just has a peace about him. He has a joy about him. But now I can see that he's a Jew. And Jews don't talk to us. As a matter of fact, you can open your eyes, Jews despise us. Why do they despise the Samaritans? Because the Samaritans were the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes that had fallen away from God and got conquered by the, by the Assyrians. The Assyrians intermarried with them. Now they are, they are 
lost in terms of their identity. They've intermarried with so many different nations now. They're a Gentile people that still hold on to some of the traditions of Judaism. He immediately breaks the ice and says, can I have a drink? I wonder what she's thinking. Wow, he went there and actually talked to me and asked me for a drink of water. I wonder if she considers it for just a second. Come on, what do you know about the world? What do you know about people? What do you know about, you know, there's always some kind of chemistry. And if you're dealing with the king of glory who eats a perfectly like organic and he has that, that organic glow from working out and being a carpenter and now he's sitting there in the evening. I don't know if she thinks he's flirting or what, but she's game. How do we know this? Because listen to her words. She goes, he says, so the woman said, how is it that you being a Jew Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then Jesus says, I'm not flirting with you. If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, that's verse 10, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he takes her to another level, but she doesn't get it. She thinks, oh, he's, he's really flirting. Now he's talking about giving me living water, and we're, we, you know, we, can, we can work this out. We can work this out. You go, oh, pastor, I, I, I just can't get with that. We'll, we'll stay with the story first. People are people are people. People are people are people. There's nothing new under the sun. So, so, what I want you to do is highlight verse 10 as the most important verse in the entire story. What Jesus does in one verse is he gives the gospel message of salvation. This is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Romans 3, 23. This is John 3, 16. This is the entire gospel message. He talks about the gift of grace, the Savior coming to give you that gift. There's nothing you can do to work for it. And if you know me, then I will be that living water that springs up in you and you will have eternal life. In one verse, he gives her the gospel message of salvation. He's offering her salvation, but she doesn't get it yet. Watch. If you read... I don't have the other verses because I want you just to listen to them. I'm going to read out of uh, verse 11. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? Also his sons and his livestock, Jesus answered her and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me some of this water that I may not thirst or come back to this well to drink? She's like, I'm game. Let's do this, bad boy. 
Let's do it. You might be thinking, what are you talking about? No, listen. Listen, she's on a worldly path. We over-spiritualize things so much that we don't see people as people. She's like, okay, let's do this. Well, what do you mean? But she still doesn't get it. Then he gets, he gets real with her. He says, okay, I can see we're not getting anywhere. You still think I'm flirting? Go get your husband. Now she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where did my husband, what? She still tries to save it by saying, I'm not married. Jesus says, you're right, you're not married. You've been married five times. Some of you are going, whoa. Now can you see? She's no stranger to talking to men. Some women have a hard time getting one husband. This girl's got five. They're a dime a dozen. I can get one anywhere I go. No, I mean, I'm just being honest. In a world that's hard for women to get married like that because it's, I mean, where do you go to meet back then? Today she'd been given Liz Taylor a run for her money. You know, some of you are going, that's bad. Yeah, I was going to use JLo, but JLo's my girl. No way. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But listen, my point is this. My point is Jesus just put an end to all that and said, go get your husband. Then he says, you've had five husbands. Now she's like, whoa. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. Now she's hearing loud and clear. And Jesus is saying, we're not talking about the physical. I'm talking about the spiritual. And I'm here on a journey to interrupt your journey. Can I tell you, Jesus journeyed from heaven to earth to interrupt your journey. So that you might have a date with destiny and that you might turn to him and walk down that narrow path and have everlasting life. You've been doing it your way. You've been making decisions the best way you know how. You've been focusing on your giftings or what you perceive is your strength to be able to get a man. But a man is not what you need. You need the... A woman is not what you need. A job is not what you need. A better economy is not what you need. Come on now. A Democrat or a Republican in the White House is not what you need. What you need is the king of glory interrupting your life, having a date with destiny, and understanding that you've been traveling by yourself and it's time to stop traveling alone and start traveling with the king of glory. I'm talking the king of glory, that you might say, Lord, lead me. Lead me. See, many of us, Many people in the earth today want to date Jesus, but Jesus isn't talking about flirting or dating. He's talking about marriage. Commit to me. Commit to me. Let me be your husband. Let me lead you. Let me direct your way. Let me light your path. There is a way, the Bible says, that seems right to man. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Now, I want to share a quick little story with you. It's out of one of my favorite books. It's called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. You say, man, you love John Maxwell. He is a Christian leadership writer. He was a former pastor, and he's probably one of the, my favorite experts on leadership and, and uh 
and becoming a better leader. And he writes a story about two men. One is a a Norwegian explorer by the name of Roald Admundsen. And Roald Admundsen is Norwegian and he wanted to be the first to conquer the North Pole, so to speak. But when someone beat him to it, he decided to turn his attention to the South and the Antarctica. In the Antarctic region, he decided to be the first to traverse that mountainous, uh, treacherous land, and he formed a team. He was very careful about the way he formed his team. He hand-selected who he needed. Not only did he hand-select who he needed, but he, he painstakingly researched the type of equipment they should use, the sleds they should use, and whether dogs would be the best way to, to, to carry this equipment. And so he... he he selected his dogs and he, he, he understood the way they should go. He put depots along the way and this took a lot of planning and a lot of forethought and the depots had a lot of their supplies and they were clearly marked so that when he got there, they would be there at the right time. And as he did all of this, he also researched what type of gear they should wear to keep them from these frigid... Uh, frigid temperatures. Well, he takes off along the way, six hours a day, so many miles over those six hours. He gets there, he plants his flag in the ground, he conquers the South Pole, so to speak. But there was another man. This man was a naval British officer. His name was Robert Falcon Scott. He was also trying to get to the South Pole before his counterpart, the Norwegian. He took a different approach. He was more haphazard in his planning. His his selection of his team was not as meticulous. As a matter of fact, he had selected four, and at the last minute, he added a fifth. This would play a part in it. Not only that, he wanted to be on the cutting edge, so rather than researching how people that that traverse in Arctic regions, how how they travel, through dog sleds or whatever, he decided to go with a, with a modern technology of a motorized vehicle. Now, this was at the turn of the, of the century, 100 years ago. <laughs> so you know the, the motorized vehicle is probably not the best way to go. He also decided to use ponies versus dogs. He also didn't clearly mark his depots, and not only that, but they were too far apart. So many times they would get lost in trying to look for them. As he gets started, soon after his, start, his journey begins, the uh, motorized vehicles go kaput and he has to put them to the side. The ponies, uh, uh, about a week later, have to, be, have to be put down and now he's traversing on foot, pulling all of his gear. They're already short of rations because he, hi- because he brought that extra person along. Not only that, but they didn't have the right gear, so now they're, they're, they're struggling with frostbite. It was said that it would take them an hour every morning just to put on their boots because their feet were so swollen and rotting of gangrene. They finally get to the South Pole or the destination to see the Norwegian flag flapping in the wind. And a letter from their counterpart encouraging them and letting them know that they had made it and that uh, they wished them well. Well, the man that was so badly beaten 
uh, by the frostbite, got so discouraged that he was being a distraction to his team and a weight uh, that, that might cost him their lives. He left camp one day, said, I'll be back, but I may be a while, and he just walked into a blizzard and died. Another fell into a stupor as they were, they were, they were starving and, and, and riddled with scurvy and, and, and whatnot, that, that he, just, he just gave up on life. Sometime later, they all sat down to write in their, journey, in their journals and to detail their journey. This is how we know what took place because they wrote it down just before they died. You say, does leadership count? Yeah. And as for me and my house, I'm going to let Jesus lead me. He knows a little bit about this world. He knows what I need. Some of us have been following the wrong leader for far too long. We've been struggling. We, like those men, are wondering if we should throw in the towel on our marriage, if we'll ever be free from whatever addiction. Maybe you're so discouraged about your job or the, or the direction of your life. I'm here to tell you, have a date with destiny, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let him lead you. Let him show you the way. You say, Pastor, I don't need a leader. I know I do. That's the first step is to humble ourselves and to say, I've never been 47 before in my life. I need help. Some of you are going, you do. I've been 47 before. I've been. <laughs> but whatever age you are, you've never been that before in your life. Some of you can say like me, I've never raised a teenage son who will be 16 before in my life. I've raised, I've raised a teenage daughter, but never a teenage son who will be 16. I've never done that. I've never had a church this size with these challenges in this economy, in this society, in this secular culture. I've never done that. I need Jesus. Lord, won't you lead me? Come on. It takes humility, but it will also save your life. But more importantly, I don't know how to get to heaven on my own. Come on now. Some of us need to say, Lord, I don't know how to get to eternal life. How do I get from here to there? I know it's not going to be riding a bike. Even if it is a Harley. <laughs> Amen? I need you, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about here today. And so, as we understand that the journey is treacherous. This journey of life, it's treacherous. You need to understand that thy word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. See, Jesus wants to illuminate the way and he does it through his word. As a matter of fact, the closer you get to his word, the closer you get to Jesus because Jesus and his word are synonymous. They're one and the same. The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was created was created by the Word. And so as you get to know Jesus, you get to know this Word. As you get to know this Word, you get to know Jesus. The reason I'm putting that emphasis on it is because you want Jesus to lead you, but you don't know what Jesus sounds like. You don't know what Jesus thinks like. You don't know his character. This is important. 
If you want to know Jesus like a best friend, read the scriptures and then he will speak to you by the power of his Holy Spirit through these scriptures and say, go left, go right. You must needs go here. Uh Uh-oh. Some of you are saying, but pastor, I don't know if I want Jesus leading me because he might take me to the Antarctica. I used to feel that way. I don't know if I want to totally relinquish control to Jesus because I may end up in Africa. How many of you know you can trust a good, faithful, awesome, compassionate, loving Savior? You can trust him. Do you realize this? You can trust him better than you can trust yourself. He will never lie to you. How many of us lie to ourselves? He will never lie to you. He will never do anything to hurt you. Everything he does is for your benefit. You can trust him. Trust him today to lead you. As a matter of fact, he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd, and America desperately needs this good shepherd. Do you realize, church, that America is sick? She is sick. And she is trying to deal with this sickness the best way she knows how. As a matter of fact, it's been reported time and time and time again that we are the most medicated society on the face of the globe. And I'm not talking about diseases like cancer and diseases like like, uh, MS or, or any of these other genetic diseases. I'm talking about the disease of mental illness, emotional stress, anxiety. And we take so much medication prescribed. We take so much that's not prescribed, that's illicit. We take some that's sold right over the counter like alcohol or marijuana in many states. And we keep thinking that's going to solve our problem. The problem is we don't know how to do it ourselves, but we keep insisting we have to do it ourselves. We really have to let go and let Jesus lead us. So Jesus is sitting at the well and he's saying, he's saying this, he's saying, I want to show you a better way. She thinks they're talking on the physical level. Jesus says, go get your husband because you're not hearing me, girl. Now she's hearing him loud and clear, right? I'm not interested in being your number six. Not in the way you think. I'm interested in being number one. Number one in your life. So I'm going to introduce you to myself as your provider. How do I know this? Because the Bible says... If you drop down, I'm going to drop down past Psalms 23. I'll come back to Psalms 23. I'm giving these guys a special treatment here. So I'm going to go to to John 4, 25 and 26. Listen to the way the conversation starts to wrap up. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. Now she's getting it. Okay. He's woken her up. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said to her, I am that I am Messiah. He used the Old Testament name for God. He said, I am the great I am. You're talking to him, girl. 
Can you imagine the joy she felt? No, no, listen. This is found in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am that I am. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is Yahweh. He just said, I am Yahweh. Wow. Can I tell you, he wants to be everything you need. Everything you need is at his table. He says he will prepare a table in the presence of your enemy. There's a song I used to listen to 20 years ago. Well, I had to bring it up to 98. 98. But the message still is the same. Because whatever you need is over here at the table. If it's love, it's at the table. If it's peace, if it's peace. It's at the table. This is before Kanye. Whatever you need. to make you whole, she says. I love it because he goes on and he breaks it down like a good, like a good choir director would. This is Reverend Richard Smallwood if you want to download that song. And he says, do I have some sopranos out there? And then the sopranos sing and then the altos sing and the tenors sing. But they all say, if it's whatever you need, God is. Why is God exactly what you need? Because he's the great I am. And it's his way of saying, listen, you don't have eternity to tell you all that I am good. So let's just understand, I am what you need when you need it. I'm exactly what you need when you need it. When you need provision, I'm provision. When you need protection, I'm protection. When you need hope in your marriage, I'm your hope. I'm your love. I'm your joy. I'm your peace. So let's just keep it simple. I am that I am. Isn't that beautiful? It's at the table and it reminds me, it reminds me of one of my favorite Psalms. Psalms 23. Come on, this is the beautiful Psalm that we've all read in our high of highs and our lows of lows. And it talks about the journey 
But it doesn't talk about taking the journey by ourselves. It talks about taking the journey as Jesus Christ as our shepherd. He's the great shepherd. We're the sheep of his pasture. You know, sheep aren't meant to think too much. Sheep aren't meant to carry anything. Sheep aren't meant to do anything but to rely on their shepherd. But you got to realize you're a sheep. Some of us have been trying for far too long to be more than a sheep. Now I want you to read this psalm with fresh eyes. Fresh eyes with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does that say? Right off the bat, he's declaring you are the great, the great I am. Why are you the great I am? You're the great I am, listen to me very closely, because there's nothing that I need that I will ever want for. I'm not going to have to want because you're going to be there exactly when I need it. You supply all my needs or I never want. But notice, he doesn't say he'll supply all our greeds. He'll supply all our needs. So listen to me very closely as I go through this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now I'm going to highlight some words for you. The first word is make. This is important because some of us don't like to be made anything. Can I tell you? If you come to Jesus, you got to be willing to be a sheep and to follow. You say, but I, 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 something just rises up within me. That's the thing that has to die. And the way he kills it is he makes you a son. And I can remember being my father's son, and we don't raise children this way anymore, and maybe that's why we're having a couple of issues. I'm just going to say it like that. We have a couple of issues because children think they're on the same level as a father. But I remember being raised saying, well, why do I? Because I said so. And you're going to do it because you're my son, and that's just all there is to it. See, when you come to this When you come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you have to come as a son. And a son just has to do with the Father, what Jesus says, because he said so. You read it, he he makes me. Not if you want to lie down. No, you will lie down and learn that I am your rest. That you won't get ahead of me. Because we're doing something according to my will, not your will. And I know where the pitfalls are. And before we take off on this journey, you need to rest. So you're going to learn to trust me in rest. Come on now. Can I tell you, this is where America is having trouble because we keep trying to do it in our strength, in in, in our foreknowledge. We keep trying to argue with the Father and that's why we need Xanax. And that's why, or what, what is the... Zoloft, and I I don't take those things. I have no idea what people are taking, but evidently millions upon millions are taking them. You know what my medication is? God, I'm stressing out. I'm stressing out and I'm confused. And I'm not saying that if you take that, that you're being disobedient. What I am saying is there are a lot of folks that don't need to be taking that 
if they would just trust Jesus a little bit more and let him make you lie down in green pastures for a season. See, this world is constantly telling us we need to progress and go and go and go. Where are we going? The only place I truly want to go is heaven and he's the only one that can get me there. So if he says lie down for a season, lie down. Let him make you lie down in green pastures. Then, watch this, after he makes you, then he leads you beside still waters. Then he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's go to the next verse, verse 4. Yea, thou the and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Watch this. For you are with me, O Lord. Why is he with me? Because I've learned to be made to walk with him. Can I tell you, when I was younger, when I was younger, I was constantly running off in front of the Lord running off in my own direction. And then I'd get off in the woods and I'd go, God? And God said, you're supposed to be lying down. You ran off. Because you have this need inside of you to, to accomplish. Why? Just to start asking myself questions. Why do I have a need to accomplish so bad? Maybe it's an insecurity that I'm trying to compensate for. Whatever it is, but God will sort it out with you. But it's only in working through the first part of the psalm that you get to the second part of the psalm when he walks with you. Because Jesus has his own pace. And some of us are like, come on, Jesus. And Jesus, you still haven't gotten it yet. I lead. Come on back here. Walk with me. Let's talk a minute. The valley's waiting for us. And you know what happens in the valleys? Death. Why is it known as the valley of the shadow of death? Stay with me on this. Because warfare took place in the valleys. The reason warfare took place in the valleys is because every, every uh, military commander knows, especially in ancient warfare, if you got caught on the, on the downside of the hill and your opponent had the high ground, they crushed you. So you didn't want to give them that advantage. You would fight where it was even in the valley. And that's where death takes place because untold numbers of people would die. And so Jesus says, the valley's coming. You need to learn to walk with me. And watch this. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because what? He is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. I'm close enough to him where I can take direction from his rod and his staff. That's another sermon. Watch this. You prepare a table. There we go. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I want you to be very, very careful here. He doesn't say in the comfort of my home, in the comfort of my lake house, in the comfort of my beach house, in the comfort of my church, in the comfort of the foyer of the church where there's a lot of my friends around. He says in the presence of my enemy in the valley of the shadow of death, when times are the strongest and the hardest, that's when he says, sit down, son. Sit down. He makes you sit, sit down, daughter. No, Lord, but, but the enemy is prowling. He's right there. That's why we're going to sit down. And I'm going to show you that in the midst of the storm, 
You can be calm because I am with you. And we don't have to worry about him. All you have to worry about is we're gonna have an anniversary dinner because it's been one year since you walked with me. It's been 20 years since you walked with me. And you know one thing about me now, that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Every valley I bring you through, I haven't brought you this far just to drop you. I don't care what's happening in your finances. I am your provision because I am the great I am. I don't care what's happening in your marriage. I am the great hope. I am the faith. I am everything you will need when you need it if you only bother to sit. Come on, I'm trying to help somebody here. But the enemy's right there. Yeah, he's gonna be really ticked off because there's nothing he can do as long as you sit at this table with me. And he's gonna tell you, look at me, let's talk. Let me reassure you of some things. Let me share some things, but, 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 but. And this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to weasel in at your table. He wants, if you give him room, how many times have you ever been walking with the Lord, everything felt good, and then all of a sudden something happens and you just handle it in the worst way. And the enemy shows up at your table and this is what he does. He's like, oh, hey, hey, Christian, how you doing? Man, how you doing? Y'all don't mind, do you? You don't mind. I'm just going to hang out with y'all for a minute. See, this is a young couple. I did it to an older couple, Gilbert and Mary, in, in first service. They started rebuking me in the name of Jesus. See, watch what a young couple that's inexperienced, they're just sitting here. Uh-oh, Christian done took, his, took my arm off of him. Mary started rebuking me in the name of Jesus. Satan, get behind me. Gilbert said, in the name of Jesus, you got to go. And, and, but this is the thing. If you're okay, he'll just pull up a seat right by you. This is you. This is Jesus. He'll just pull up a seat right by you. And then he'll be like, that's a good spread you got here. You don't mind, do you? Mm. I don't mind if I do. This is good. For long, he's comfortable stealing your provisions, stealing your peace, stealing your joy, stealing what God has meant to bless you. And say, okay, well, how do I know that the enemy is at my table? You can always tell, man, that's good. I would say, get some breakfast at the Eye Care Cafe. That's some good stuff. Um, okay, this is where we finish. The reason you, or how you know if the enemy's at your table is because you can hear him whispering in your ear. You're not going to make it. That's number one. You're not going to make it. And because you're not going to make it, you might as well admit you're not enough. You're not enough. You don't have what it takes. And because you're not going to make it and you're not enough, God has rejected you. And you got to deal with your own shame and your own guilt. And I'm going to remind you of it. And because you're not going to make it and you're not enough and God won't truly love you the way you want him to, then number four has to be there is no hope. And if there is no hope, then what are you doing here? Just do it on your own. Just go out, get froggy, jump. 
What does it mean to get froggy? It means just get nervous, get, get, get freaked out by the situation and just start reacting. And God's going, no, 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 no. Don't pay him no mind. You look at me. I'm your savior. You don't have to move a muscle. I'll take care of it. But Lord, how am I going to solve this? How am I going to take care of this? How, but how? how? Hey, Moses asked me the same thing. And it was, when it was time, I split the sea. When it was time, I fed him from heaven. When it was time, I brought living water from a rock. And that living water is my son, Jesus. And that rock is my son, Jesus. And the bread from heaven is my son, Jesus. And the man who held the seas back is my son, Jesus. And that's the one you're eating with. Relax and understand that he works all things for the good of those who love him. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. I know there's someone here today that needed that message. So as the worship team comes up and they set the stage to pray with you, set the platform to pray with you, I'm going to ask you to just search your heart. To ask yourself candidly, has the enemy been trying to make his way comfortable at my table? Am I too busy walking around worrying about what he's doing when Jesus has a table for me and he says, come eat with me? Have I been going on my own strength and my own knowledge on this journey and yet I've left Jesus behind? Or maybe I've never known Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm that woman at the well who's always flirted with Jesus, but I've never understood Jesus doesn't want to just flirt with me. He wants to marry me. That's me, Lord. You can have it all. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come up. And if you need to pray about one of those things, if you need to pray, don't leave this place without praying. Raquel's going to start singing. I'm going to ask you to come up. Holy Spirit, just embolden our people, God. Stir up our hearts, Lord. Give us courage to say no more, Satan. You cannot steal from my table and my family's table any longer. And I'm going to ask that you would just come up and pray this prayer with someone. Come on, church. Come on. Let's stand and let's sing. I love you, Foundation.